Welcome to the Career Couch with Dr. Carol and Friends, where our goal is to always support you in reaching your fullest potential. I'm Dr. Carol Isom Barnes, host of the show, and I welcome you to part two of Navigating a Promotion in Organizational Success with Comcast's president and special counsel to the CEO, Steve White. If you missed our discussion in part one, episode number 54, I encourage you to start there first. In episode one, Steve shares his personal and professional journey to reaching success at the highest levels in corporate America. He also offers insightful and inspiring advice to elevate your career from a perspective you may not have considered. And to give you a little background on Steve, he was president of Comcast's West Division for 11 years, launching his career in 1996 as regional vice president. He was responsible for all of Comcast cable operations in the Western U.S., leading nearly 30,000 employees, serving almost 10 million customers, and driving annual revenue of nearly $18 billion. His new book, Uncompromising, How an Unwavering Commitment to Your Why Leads to an Impactful Life and a Lasting Legacy, just dropped. And in his new book, And also in part one of our podcast, he addresses how a commitment to his why and the influence of mentors enabled him to demonstrate consistent growth for his teams and divisions, which led to increasing leadership responsibilities and his division becoming a pace setter by delivering industry leading results. Having experienced his own success, thanks to the advice of key mentors, Steve now offers guidance to others in support of businesses across the country. So I hope you enjoy this continued discussion with Steve on the Career Couch with Dr. Carol and Friends. Thankfully today, there's significantly more emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I know in your position, you're leading from, you know, an altitude of about 50,000 foot level. And it's a level that very few people achieve and especially very few people who are of persons of color. And we've talked about some of the struggles that you've had in reaching, you know, your, your level. I'm sure you're aware of the plight of African-Americans and other persons coming behind you and trying to rise to even half the level that you have. So how do you and how do you think other leaders in your position, regardless of their race, should ensure that the people coming up behind them that are experiencing a process of equity and inclusion where their voice is heard, they can bring their own unique and individual self into the workplace and be fairly promoted and fairly paid at the level where they are. Yeah, I know that was a lot, but it's a big question. But let me start. And Carol, you'll tell me if I'm headed in the right direction here. Someone once said, Steve, how did you lead 30,000 people? You know, you're one person. How do you lead 30,000 people? I said, I realized I could not lead 30,000 people. But I quickly recognized, Carol, my circle of influence 
was our top 100 leaders. These are all the vice presidents and the level vice presidents and above in my organization. So the first thing a leader has to do is clearly communicate and then with their actions to hire people that share their value and visions. So certainly on my direct report team, I could handpick those people and half my team were women and people of color, something I'm very proud of. And as I left my job as president of Comcast West, my successor was an African-American gentleman who had worked for me for 10 years. Uh, he earned it and he did a great job and he's now doing an even better job uh, running the group. So the first thing is who you hire, if they share your value and visions, then they will carry that throughout the organization. But I went beyond that. So if you were a vice president above in my organization, I would personally interview you while the hiring manager ultimately had the final say as the president of the group, I also weighed in and said, I'm not sure they share our values. I'm not sure they think about things the way we do. And again, we're not looking for clones. We're looking for people that have a shared vision around values, diversity, uh, leadership, etc. And so now if I've got the top 100 leaders where we have a shared vision around the environment and culture we want to create, then they're going to go create that in their organization. And then that's how you create a culture across 30,000 employees across 13 states. That's how you do it. It's not easy. It's very, very hard. That's number one. Number two, you build systems in place where you break down the invisible walls of, of communication. For example, on average, I would do 85 to 100 focus groups every year as far down in the organization as possible. And I expected my teammates that supported me to do the same thing. When you can now start breaking down walls, Carol, where you're now sitting in a room with frontline employees and there are no other leaders there but just you, you break down those false barriers and now real communication is shared. And if you're getting a sense that people are not being treated fairly, now you can go you can go deal with it. So that's the second thing is you've got to break down these walls of communication. Uh, number three, and I hate to say it this way, but sometimes there needs to be a public firing. As a leader, you establish the bar of that culture. You establish that bar. And if you allow things to slide where you know it's inconsistent with what you're trying to do, you have to make a personnel decision, not to embarrass somebody, but you have to make a personnel decision and you need to make sure everybody in the organization understands this separation occurred because they were not living our values. And so now you start creating an environment with the right people. You've broken down the barriers of communication and you demonstrated that this is what we stand for. Now you begin the process of creating an organization that is transparent there's now you're creating an organization that there's equality at sitting at the table. And now you're creating an organization where everyone feels included and then they can, uh, they can make it happen. And then the final piece, and I remember one of my frontline employees telling me, he says, Steve, you got two jobs as a leader. Number one is don't disrespect your employees. So give me a voice. 
And number two, and you're going to love this, Carol, make sure my W-2 is growing every year. That's your job as a leader is to ensure that my W-2 is growing. That means you're going to make the right decision. You're going to ensure that we have the best people on the team. You're going to make sure we have the right environment so the best people can go perform their duty. You do all those things. We'll have success. My W-2 will grow. And then if you respect me, I will follow you through fire. Now, you know, do you think most Especially, let's just talk about Fortune 100 companies, because many Fortune 100 companies have a very classical approach, a very command and control style. But do you feel most of those type of organizations have that approach that you just described? I think they're getting there as more people get in line on what is the approach. So let's take a remember. Remember, we talked about this great resignation. I call it the great reset. Now, if you're a company that's still living in the 19th century, command and control, nobody's going to work for your company. These employees have power. They have opportunities. And so if you try to lead that way, then you're not going to be successful. Malcolm X says change does not come without confrontation. Well, guess what? We're going through a confrontation where people are saying, I don't want to work there anymore. I'm leaving. Even if it means I'm staying at home until I can find something better, I'm out of here. And so now we see this uncomfortable confrontation occurring. People call it the great resignation. I call it the great reset. And at the end of the day, companies want to be successful and they will adjust. Let me give you an example. When the pandemic hit in March 2020, we had a decision to make. We got all of our employees home, and then we realized that our customer care agency, you know what, I can do this job from home. I don't need to be in a building. And we made the decision that 15,000 men and women would permanently work from home. Now, we would also have a building for them if their home situation was not conducive to conducting business, but we had to adjust And if you want to be relevant five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, you're going to have to adjust. And so now that's going to force people to change. And as the next generation of leaders come into play, they understand the way you build organizations. You get as many people filling included. That's how companies become special companies. And if not, they're going to go to the wayside. Let me go down the list. Eastern Airlines, Montgomery Ward, Howard Johnson's, mm-hmm. Sears. Can I, should I keep going, Carol? Yeah, these I, are all I remember them all. Lost, these yeah. are all companies that lost their way, and it always starts with people and culture. And if you want to be relevant from five years from now, 10 years from now, you're going to have to adjust. Well, you talked about the workplace landscape changing and the need to adjust a lot of it significantly because of the pandemic. And You know, even today, I think I heard on CNN that 41 million workers quit in 2021. I think it was 41 million. That just seems like a lot even coming out of my mouth. But, you know, like you said, they're working from home. We talked about them being disengaged and so forth. Now, what concerns me, Steve, is this. As more people are staying home, primarily or working from home, primarily it's going to be women because of child care, which means that the people who are physically in the office are going to be primarily men um, because of, you know, access to senior leadership uh, because of visibility. That means more than likely because of the emphasis that we put on, 
you know, being physically present. More men are going to climb the ranks, increase their power, increase their wealth. As an African-American woman, this does concern me. So what advice would you give to employees to ensure their promotability in the in the workplace amidst this adjusting and shifting? Yeah. Carol, I'm going to give you a very frank answer. Somebody asked me the question. I'll be very transparent. I was with a bunch of employees and they said, Steve, I want to know, can I have a career here if I want to work nine to five because I have other interests, etc." And I said, of course, you could have a career here. Of course, you can work nine to five, but you're not going to be the president of the company. If your desire is to be me, to be the president of the company, it's not going to happen. I can't be president working nine to five when you have 30,000 employees across 13 states. So we, my family and I, we made a conscious decision that we were going to make take advantage of this opportunity. We moved, my wife and I moved 11 times supporting my career, but we had to make a decision. And that was a very difficult decision. But there are a lot of moms where the dad is staying at home now because they've made a conscious decision that mom's career is going to take priority. And so dad is staying at home now. But the point here, Carol, is everyone has to make a conscious decision. If your desire is to be the president of the company, then yes, you can't do that being at home 100% of the time. You're going to have to make some adjustments. You're going to have to be visible. You're going to have to get into the office. Not every day, but you can't be at home 100% of the time and say, I want to be the president of the company. Does that make sense, Carol? That, so it comes, yeah. it comes down to what is your interest? What are your priorities? For us, our priority was to climb this ladder, to create an environment for our family to be successful, and also my wife supporting my desire to go impact as many uh, men and women as possible. So this is a very personal decision that each and every one of us have to make and then go from there. What you're saying to me and what he's saying, listeners, is you have to realistically align your personal goals with your professional goals. That's, That's what exactly it comes down right. to. That's exactly. And Carol, I love what you just said, because the other question I get is, hey, Steve, tell me about work-life balance. And I say, guess what? There is no such thing. I call it work-life integration, right? My family at dinner table, guess what we talk about? We talk about my day. We talk about the challenges and issues I'm facing, right? And my wife will talk about, you know, things she's doing, but it's part of our family. My son, I have a nine-year-old son, Carol, you'll love this. He views himself as assistant president. He views himself as working for Comcast. So whenever there's a new movie that comes out, let's take the Minions, which was done by our NBC group, our Universal Movie Studios. He tells his friends that his company produced that movie. That's work-life integration. That doesn't mean I'm not with my family. That doesn't mean that we don't talk about serious things. But it's called work-life integration because if I'm serving my purpose, if I'm in an environment that feeds me, Carol, then why would I want to separate that from my family? I would want them to be part of that. So I call it work-life integration. And I'm not saying you got to work 24 hours, seven days a week. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is the more you're in tune with living your why, then there's no reason to separate your family and your work life. 
How special is that when it can be totally integrated because the family and your work is in line with the reason you've been placed on this earth? You just said something that just made me think about, I'm thinking about women and women who have children and they want to have a seat at the C-suite level. At the same time, they want to raise their children. So are you saying that you are not able to do both? I know I'm saying you can do both. All I'm saying is, is it's work-life integration. Let me give you an example. So after school, my son has homework. We set it up where if I have to do emails, we're all sitting there at the kitchen table together or in a living room or in the family room. My son's doing his homework. I'm doing my work. And then we discuss it afterwards. So I'm not saying you can't. You can do both. But it all comes down to, you know, what is it you want to do? And then you have to create the environment so you can do both. But what it does put a premium on, Carol, is when I am with my son, when I am with my wife, it's not about quantity. It's about quality. So if I get an hour with my son, let's put away the iPhone. Let's turn off the TV and let's spend a good quality hour. No one can tell me one good quality hour with your child is more impactful than having two or three hours where you're together, but you're not together. I think you know what I'm saying. So it's all about quality. So I think you can do both, but understand it will take sacrifice. If you're saying, I want to be the president of the company, I need to travel to go visit customers or whatever. There has to be flexibility and you will not be there for every school recital. You will not be there for every game, but that's a conscious decision. Each and every one of us have to make. And you're also saying, and you will not be able to do that as a remote worker. That's exactly right. I don't think you can do that as a remote worker, because if you are trying to get promoted and you want to get exposure and you're running to the biggest challenges that the company's facing, they're going to want you to be engaged. So everybody has to make a conscious decision. And I see moms doing it all the time because there are more men now staying at home, be a stay at home at dad. So the rules have changed. And so we don't have this old school where the mom only does this and dad only does that. In our family, we, we all participate and we all jump in and help out. From an organizational perspective, uh, what should organizations be doing then to retain talent? Because the ecosystem has changed here because employees want, you know, that work life balance. So what should organizations be doing to retain talent if, say, for example, they can't promote them at this time or the, the organizational structure doesn't have a role to support that person um, being promoted or going up to the next level? But the person is worthy of being promoted. And a valued person. Yeah. Yeah. I think you just listen. For example, there were moms and dads that really enjoy taking their kids to school every single day. And so I made sure that we did not start certain meetings before 839 o'clock so they could drop their kids off, spend that quality time, and we could still start our meeting at nine o'clock. This is where the communication comes in. This is where organizations have to really listen to their employees. So as we go through this unique time in corporate America, most employees are not saying, I demand to work from home every day. What they're saying is, I want more flexibility. 
So if on a Monday, the kids are out of school and I want to stay at home and work, I want that flexibility. Here in Denver today, we got hit by a huge snowstorm. I just want the flexibility that on a Wednesday, I'm going to work from home today. Unless there's something critical going on, I want to work from home. So I don't see any employees putting out mandates that I only want to work from home every single day of the week. What they're saying is, I want a little flexibility. And if I want to work from home this week, two days, and go in the office three days, that's great. Next week, I might be in the office five days. I just want flexibility. Treat me as an adult. I will get the work done. That's what I'm looking for. So that means companies have to be really tuned in and listening to their employees. That's where uh, we make it happen. And then if you're in an environment that is consistent with your purpose and why, Carol, then it's a win-win for everyone. No one's sitting out putting down mandates. What they're saying is, can I get a little flexibility? And if companies find a way to provide that flexibility, guess what? they're going to have success. As we prepare to um, close out this episode, what do you think are the wrong reasons for someone wanting to get promoted? Well, when it's about them, (laughs) you know, it's uh, because you will quickly flame out if it's all about you. But if you're taking joy out of being promoted to help others and things like that, that's what's going to make the difference. If it's all about you, people will see that very clearly in your career will derail. I remember, Carol, uh, I did not make it to CEO of a public company. I got close, but that was one of my goals. And people said, well, why do you want to be CEO of a public company? I said, because think about the impact that I can have across hundreds and thousands of people if I'm running a public company. So while I didn't make it, I, I, I was president of Comcast West, but I now serve on the board of three public companies. And here's the consistency about all three of these companies, Hormel Foods, W.W. Granger, and Shaw Communications, Carol, 80% of their employees are frontline. So I wanted to be in a company where I can be in a boardroom, impact how how we're caring for our employees in a way that really makes a difference. Let me give you one quick example is the companies I work with, I strongly encourage them to offer benefits from day one. Most companies today, if you join a new company, you cannot get benefits from that company for 90 days. Hmm. And it took me back to my mom. She's a good employee, but she couldn't afford to leave and not have benefits for 90 days, even if she was going to the greatest company in the world. But sitting in a boardroom, I'm able to share that and bring that perspective in the boardroom. And each of these companies now offer employees benefits at day one. So does Comcast. And I played a major role in making that happen. So that's the kind of focus that if you're consistent with your why, that's what's going to allow you to rise up and be successful. That's getting promoted for the right reasons, not just about you. On episode 51 of my podcast, I talked to um, Barbara Dale Petse, and she talked about the narratives that we believe about ourselves and we repeatedly tell ourselves. And I'm curious to know what role you feel that plays in your ability to be successful and be promoted. And, you know, really, what was your narrative? What stories did you tell yourself as you were coming up the ranks to change your circumstances and rise through the ranks of organizations like Comcast and Colgate, Palmolive and 
in Pepsi um, because we, we didn't talk about, you know, your, your background with a single mom, but what was the narrative that you told yourself to change your situation? Well, the first is I go back to that question, the two most important days of your life is the day you're born and the second is when you know why. So starting with the belief that there's nothing that I can't accomplish, there's nothing that would keep me from reaching my full potential. So you come with the mindset, I'm competing against myself. So when you look in that mirror every day, you know if you've given your full, your full commitment and your full promise. So that's number one. The second thing is expectations. In our household, although we were poor, although we were living in the housing projects in Indianapolis, my mother did not lower the expectation. The expectation was you were going to be a contributing member of society. Whatever you decided to do was not about being CEO, but you're going to be a contributing member of society and you're going to make a difference. Whatever that might be, you might be a pastor, you might be a business leader, you might be whatever. You're going to go really make a difference. And that's where the expectation starts. So let me share a story with you quickly. I mentioned to you, I have a nine-year-old son. I was at Harvard Business School about you know, four or five years ago uh, for a training program. And I called my wife on the phone and said, what, tell me Stevie's size. And she gave me the size. But what hit me, Carol, was I said, what if I bought 10 different t-shirts, sweatshirts, raincoats, whatever, all with Harvard Business School on them. And so therefore, when I got home, he could wear literally a Harvard Business shirt or sweatshirt or rain suit for the next 10 years. Now, whether he goes to Harvard or not, that's not the point. The point here is that higher education has been established. And so now my son says, Dad, now when I end up going to Harvard, I have to, I'm going to move to Boston. Do I have to become a Boston Celtic or a Boston Red Sox fan? I say, absolutely not. We don't like, no, I'm just kidding. You get my point. But the point here, Carol, is the expectation is being set. That's the narrative that I truly believe is missing in America, particularly in our community. There's an expectation of greatness. And I'm going to support you and I'm going to give you what you need. And I'm going to surround you with other men and women and other boys and girls that have this expectation of greatness. And when you get 10 people together, you get two people together and they all believe, Carol, they could do great things. Get out of the way. That light now is burning brighter and brighter and brighter. And that's what makes it happen. Last story I'll share. And I'm sorry, but I, I think no, this we're is good. Important. We're great. We're great. There was a there was a study done in 1968. And I write about this in my book because uh, I've got a whole title just on expectations. They took 60 kids and they split them into three groups. And they went to the teachers and say, teachers, this group of 20 kids, they were like seven or eight years old. It was a famous study. These 20 kids are unique and special. We tested them. They have a special gift and all of this. That was not the case. They just told the teachers that. So the teachers started interacting with these children in a way that these are unique, special children. They are great. And so therefore, their expectations went up. And guess what, Carol? At the end of the study, those 20 kids, end up scoring the highest on all the tests. They were the most advanced, not because they had some unique talent, but there was an expectation Mm -hmm. that they were excellent and great. And they taught to that expectation level. And those kids stood up to to the challenge and they demonstrated that expectations go a long way in creating in your brain that you've got something unique to offer. 
And most people, they will step up to that to that challenge. No, I I agree. And and just lastly, before we close out, because there are some times when people should have gotten the promotion or the opportunity and they didn't. What should a person do if they feel they have been looked over for an opportunity? When should you complain and when should you not complain? Well, the first thing you do is you look deep within yourself and you got to be honest with yourself and say, have I given my all? Do I have the skill sets and really challenge yourself? And then you hopefully you have truth tellers around you. You sit down just as I did. You sit down with truth tellers and you walk them through the situation and you get their feedback. And then if you're convinced through your own inventory analysis and talking to people that are real truth tellers, if you feel strongly that you deserve that promotion, then you go ask for feedback. You go ask for feedback and you say, tell, I thought I was in line for this promotion. I did not get it. Do you mind sharing with me why I did not get it? And then at that point, you make a decision. Do I believe the hiring manager? Do I believe my boss? Do I believe my leaders and the feedback that I'm receiving? Is it legitimate? And if it is, then great. You stay at it. But if you make a decision that it's not legitimate, that you're not getting a fair shot, don't quit. Don't get emotional, but you make a decision in your mind and say, look, I don't believe I have a future here. So I'm going to make sure that I find an opportunity that resonates with my company and the vision of where I'm going. So don't quit. Don't walk out emotionally and say, I quit. But you've now made a decision that you're going to find something else and you go look for it while you continue to do a great job because you're always building your company. Remember that you're always building your brand. So even if you're dissatisfied, keep doing a good job. Keep putting points on the board while you look for another opportunity. But always remember that your brand follows you wherever you go. You might think you can leave this company and start fresh. Your brand always follows you. Stay focused on the long game. Don't get caught up in a short-term temptation to do something that's short-sighted. I think that's perfect. As you just heard, Steve's comments in episode two were just as inspiring and insightful as they were in episode one. At the conclusion of episode one, I mentioned to Steve that I knew the conversation would awaken some people. That comment proved to be correct as I received a lot of feedback from many of you stating first that you thought the episode was excellent. I thank you for that feedback. But more importantly, you realize you had been going about advancing your career all wrong. So many of you indicated that you are now changing your approach and developing a strategy to reach your fullest potential based on that conversation. And that is exactly what these episodes are about. So, Steve, thank you for taking the time to do what you do and for joining me on the career couch. I wish you much success with your book, Uncompromising, which listeners, by the way, can be found on Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com and Steve's website, which is SteveWhiteSpeaks.com. He's also on LinkedIn and other social media portals. So check him out. And listeners, I continue to thank you for tuning in and making the podcast a success. 
I will connect with you again in two weeks with a new guest and a new episode. I'm Dr. Carol Isom Barnes, wishing you a wonderful and successful day. Thank you.